You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Yes, indeed. We are both here following a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. I I hope you uh, had all the blessings that I did. It was uh, just a great weekend all the way around and a great weekend to be an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Uh, we'll go the next two hours talking about this. Jeff Spiegel will join us here in just a little little bit. He was there on behalf of 3340. And a little bit later on in the show, Tuscaloosa News, Nick Kelly will join us. So we've got guests aplenty and also comment aplenty. Lars, how are you, man? Oh, man, I just cannot believe uh, I'm still... I'm still a little bit stunned by what happened Saturday night. Yeah, uh, one of the greatest finishes you're ever going to see to a game. And I don't think that's hyperbole uh, at all. And uh, fourth and 31, I mean, the the odds of converting that are pretty slim. And uh, But just uh, an absolute perfect pass by Jalen Milrow, the, the, the throw of his career. I think a curious decision by Auburn to only rush two and uh, to have your defensive backs, uh, to have their back to the quarterback. I, I don't really understand some of the, the, of the, of the rationale behind all that, but we'll, we'll dig deep into it. But what an amazing finish. Uh, what was your immediate reaction? I, I think literally my jaw dropped. You know, uh, I went to Alabama, so obviously I have a stake in this. But, you know, I don't doubt Alabama, but, you know, I didn't have a lot of hope. I think I speak for a lot of people. But because the, the chances, point, 0.1% that Alabama had of winning the game at that time or with 43 seconds left, something like that. And then the other thing is, Lars, that leading up to that, Alabama looked like the Keystone Cops. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they backed straight up. I mean, how do you think they got on the 31? Um, a, a, a bad snap and then a, a really dumb penalty. Sorry, Jalen, you won the game for Alabama, but that's not smart. He did it twice. Uh, and Here's Nick Saban. Good. So when I went to church yesterday, the first thing I said was, um, thank God what could have happened didn't happen. So, um, you know, we did, I think it's just reviewing this game, a um, little bit of a reality check. You know, one of the things that we wanted to do in the game was channel our passion and our energy into positive execution on the field. And I think when we did that, we played really, really well. Uh, but there were some times where we didn't, and it was very costly in terms of some of the errors that we made, whether they were penalties or um, mistakes on defense or whatever it might be. So the reality check part comes from taking the good things and building on them and getting some of these other things uh, corrected. You know, having the opportunity to play in the SEC championship game is, you know, I'm very, very proud of this team for the progress that they've made, the work that they've done. Uh, to give themselves an opportunity to play uh, in the SEC championship game. This is one of the most um, competitive, best venues, you know, in college football. And uh, we're obviously playing, you know, one of the best teams in college football, if not the best team in college football. You know, Kirby's done a fantastic job there. I mean, I don't think people realize, you know, how hard it is to win 29 games in a row or even be 12-0 and in a season. So, um, 
they got really good players. They're really well coached. They're one of the most prolific offensive teams in the country in terms of yards, points, ability to run, ability to pass. Uh, they've got good players at every position. Uh, defensively, they're the number one team in the SEC. I uh, got good players, well coached, uh, do a really, really good job. And, um, they also do a great job on special teams. So they've got good specialists and, this, this is a team that doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses. That's why they are who they are and what they are. And it's going to be really important for us to do, you know, a great job of executing and do what we do um, the best that we can do it. Yeah, two years ago, similar circumstance, emotional win over Auburn that you're playing the SEC championship game against Georgia. What do you think these guys can learn from the way that team prepared and handled their business in between the Iron Bowl and the SEC championship? You know, um, I, I don't really know. You know, I, I think this is about this team, how they prepare for this game. Um, not very many guys on this team was on that team. Uh, some of the guys were on that team. Uh, understood you know what championship preparation is really all about and i think their leadership and our message is going to be that's exactly what we need in this game but uh, it's hard to draw comparisons from people who didn't have that experience you know sometimes so um you know hopefully some of the older guys on the team will be able to give us the leadership that we need to be able to get that message across charlie yeah, Coach, when you look back at Jermaine Burton, what maybe stood out about him when he entered the transfer portal, and maybe how has he grown and matured since then? Yeah, well, you know, Jermaine has done a really good job for us, and, you know, we continue to harp on, you know, consistency and performance, you know, all the time. He's been very productive for us, and, um, you know, we played against him, and, you know, we thought he was a good player when we played against him, so that was probably you know, the reason for our interest in him to start with. And, you know, he hasn't dis disappointed us with his performance on the field. And, uh, you know, we continue to work on his ability to stay focused on, you know, do your job well, create value every play in terms of what you do and be consistent in your performance. And he certainly made strides in, in that direction. Matt? Uh, Caden Proctor got named co-SEC Freshman of the Week. Have you seen him most improved this season yeah well he he's you know we talked about him you know on several occasions about uh developing confidence uh i think in what he's supposed to do how he's supposed to do it why it's important to do it that way the improved communication in the offensive line uh, i think has contributed to that um development of confidence and um i, I think that's the one word that you know, when you have success, which he has had more success in recent games, you know, that really helps build confidence and an expectation that you can do things at a high level, and that's how you prepare and that's how you go play. What are the challenges of preparing for a guy like Brock Bowers, and then do you just kind of, Kirby said yesterday's status is kind of day-to-day, do you just prepare as if he's going to play? I'm sorry? Brock Bowers for Georgia. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Georgia's got a really, really good offensive team. And a quarterback obviously does a fantastic job of whether they're running the ball, carrying out fakes, play action passes, drop back passes. I mean, he is very efficient and effective in everything that he does. He's very accurate with the ball. He's smart, throws at the right place. 
So he does a great job of implementation of exactly what they want to do. And they have a really, really good scheme. And obviously, Brock Bowers is, you know, is a really, really good player, uh, probably the best player at his position in the country. And, you know, I'm assuming that he will play in the game. I don't know any different than that. Uh, and he's a mismatch issue, uh, but he's also a good blocker and a really good competitor. So it's not only his pass catching ability, uh, it's his ability to do all the things that really good football players do. And he does them at all at a high level. Right. Coach, everyone knows about the Iron Bowl rivalry, but this Georgia-Alabama rivalry is turning into something every year bigger and bigger. How healthy is that for the game of football? And obviously the Kirby and your connection is adds to that as well. Well, you know, I think that, you know, all these sort of, you call them rivalry games, you know, some of them are instilled in the culture, like the Auburn game, the Iron Bowl. Uh, that's part of the culture. You know, people have been watching that game for how many years? And um, it's always going to be that. And then, you know, some of these other sort of rivalry games, as you call them, uh, aren't traditional rivalries. Uh, but because there's two really good teams playing, uh, and it's been historically that way for a while, um they become those kind of games. And, you know, that's kind of what this has become. So, um, you know, you don't get an opportunity to play against a team who's won, you know, 29 straight games very often, uh, which speaks to their quality. Uh, but it also speaks to the challenge and the opportunity that, you know, our team has in preparing for a team like this. A question about Georgia's passing game. So, Lad McConkey, of course, missed September with a back injury. Took him a couple weeks after that, I think, before he was in peak form. And that's right when they lost Bowers to the ankle injury. So they've only had those guys healthy together for like two, three games. How much more dynamic is Georgia with both of those guys healthy? Well, both those guys are really good players. So, obviously, they're very dynamic. But I will say this, that the players who have played for those guys because, and this speaks to the depth of, you know, Georgia's team, you know, four is a really good tight end uh, and has done a really, really good job. Um, one, 86, five, the other receivers that have played, you know, they've always done, they, they've done a really good job and they're really, really good players. So um, those two guys are fantastic players in their own right and they're very productive and but the players who have stepped up and take them their place have done a really, really good job as well. Uh, Tony? You mentioned <clears throat> Caden earlier, but the whole offensive line's kind of improved. Uh, no pre-snap penalties over there, uh, one sack allowed. How much of a, how, how good of a job has Eric Wolford done kind of turning around that unit? And, and yeah, he's up? done a fantastic job. Um, and I think the players have responded well to him and, you know, our Technique has gotten better. Our communication got has gotten better. Um, the continuity of playing together has gotten better, and um, I think the results that we're getting is, you know, showing that. But I also think this is probably the best front they're going to go against all year um, to this point. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that matchup sort of transpires. Finish up with two in the back. 
Hey, Nick, uh, Jalen Miro told this postgame that he thought his emotions sometimes got the better of him, but at times it feels like that emotion fuels his play. Uh, how difficult is it sometimes to walk that tightrope of playing with emotion but making sure as the quarterback that you're dialed in and making the proper decisions? Well, I, I just think that for any player, uh, probably most importantly a quarterback, because you have the ball every down to do something with, you know, whether it's to hand it to somebody, throw it to somebody, run it yourself, whatever. Um, it is... What I mentioned earlier about having passion to play and not getting overly emotional where you don't make good decisions and choices, whether it's because you put pressure on yourself or you're trying to make plays or whatever, everybody wants to make plays, but everybody's got to trust and believe. And if I do exactly what I'm supposed to do on this play, that's going to give the best opportunity for this play to be successful and for us to make plays within the system and the scheme. And for the most part, we've been doing a great job of that, doing a great job of that. So, um, but it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, and that's not just the quarterback, but we sort of, when we got a little emotional in the game, whether it led to penalties or poor choices and decisions in some cases, um, you know, that's that's not really putting your passion into what you have to do on the field to execute. And uh, I think sometimes when you get outcome-oriented, uh, which, you know, sometimes when we want to win a game really, really bad, you get outcome-oriented, that sort of leads to those kind of emotional sort of surges that can create some issues as a competitor. What has impressed you the most about Jalen Milrow's growth this season? Uh, well... Obviously, Jalen has played really, really well for us. Um, he's got a lot of confidence. I think he's got a really good understanding of uh, what his role, what his job is, how he's been able to execute it on a consistent basis, whether it's as a passer or as a runner, whether it's scrambling or design run. Um, he's done a really, really good job, I think, of playing one play at a time and trying to execute that play the way it's designed so that he distributes the ball uh, in a very efficient, effective manner. And I think that's how his growth, you know, has sort of occurred and, you know, transformed him as a player and really transformed our offense as well because of uh, his growth and execution. All right. Thank you. Nick Saban, live at the podium at the Balmore Football Complex, talking about the upcoming game with Georgia and reflecting a little bit back on what happened Saturday night at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, along with Noah Haynes, we will all be back following this break, and we'll break down what the GOAT said about Auburn and about Georgia. Hey, football fan. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cold and breezy afternoon with a sunny sky. The high today, 49. Clear with a freeze tonight, the low 29. Tomorrow and Wednesday, a good supply of sunshine both days. The high tomorrow, 51. The high Wednesday at 57. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 47 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. 
Welcome back. Chilly, chilly Monday. 29, is that what Mr. Spann just said? Oh, man. Oh, that's Nebraska cold to us in Alabama. Nebraska cold to Lars Anderson is something totally different. Anyway, before we went to Coach Nick Saban at the top of the hour, I was telling you where I was when and what I was doing when when Milrow dropped the dime on IB. Uh, what were you doing? I was just uh, enjoying watching the game with uh, some friends and um – I know that, uh, and Nick Saban mentioned this, that they do actually practice being in that similar situation. And uh, I think ESPN Analytics had Auburn's chances of winning before that play at, at 99%. But the thing is, I don't think you're going to hit that play. You're going to hit that play more than one in a 100 times. I would give it more like maybe 15 out of a of, of 100 that you can, you can hit that. But, um, and maybe that's even a little high, maybe 10 out of 100. But, uh, again, I was confused by the Auburn's defense, right? When I saw that they rushing two, I was just like, uh-oh, uh-oh, Auburn. <laughs> and uh, if I were Auburn, I, I would have put, you know, eight guys basically lined up across the, uh, like at the five yard line or so and just dare Milro to take it. And a, play a, more a, of an eight man deep zone. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, and, and just always have eyes on the quarterback, right? Because that ball is going to be in the air for a, a, a enough time that you're going to be able to react. And, uh, but, you know, uh, I loved what Nick Saban, uh, said about Caden Proctor and just how far he has come this year and the fact that he was named the SEC uh, Offensive Lineman of the Week. Um, and uh, Sorry, he was named uh, SEC Co-Freshman of the Week along with Georgia linebacker C.J. Allen. And you dig into, well, what did Proctor do in this game? Well, he didn't allow a sack or a quarterback hit. Uh, he had two knockdown blocks and just was absolutely pivotal in Alabama's overall game plan and the fact that they were able to rack up 451 offensive yards and uh, a lot of that came running behind Proctor and this was the Proctor you know that that Nick that you saw in high school right but again as we we spent a lot of time talking about Caden Proctor and how important he is to this team and the decision that was made early in the season not to move J.C. Latham, who's going to be a first-round pick, over to left tackle and put Proctor over on right uh, so that you wouldn't have a true freshman guarding or a true freshman on on, on Milrow or the, whoever the quarterback was at the time on their, on their blind side. But his development, again, I think is a kind of a microcosm of this entire team. And so is, uh, is, 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 is Milroe, who also was named, uh, he won, uh, SEC co-offensive player of the week along with a terrific running back from Missouri. Um, but you look at Milroe's stats, 16 to 24, 259 yards and two touchdowns, uh, through the air, including that in just insane game winner. I mean, just a perfect throw. Perfect throw, Matt. Perfect throw. Um, and then he also, he ran the ball 18 times for 107. I mean, this, this quarterback, if he had been playing like this at the start of the season, and I know he needed the experience, but wow, he is playing at a level right now uh, that is, dare I say, Heisman worthy. 
right? I mean, he is playing great football. And I know that Alabama fans are kind of looking at the mistakes that were made in this game. But the way I view it as is you went into what I believe is the most hostile environment in the United States. And I would argue of any sporting venue, any sporting venue. I, I think, and especially rivalry game, and you're down in the fourth quarter, and that crowd is in full throat, full thunder, and you can't hear yourself think, uh, or you can't, it's hard to concentrate because it's uh, so disorienting, the, the level of the noise, and then to pull out the victory and converting a couple fourth downs and in 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 winning, I mean, I, I think it's a it was really a a wonderful performance by Alabama, and also a reminder of why this game is so special. You could tell those Auburn kids, man, they played their hearts out, Matt. They played their hearts out, and I just what I love as a as a as a fan of sports is when you have two teams on the field. Where it's like every play, and this is a gross exaggeration and probably a bad way to put it, but every play is like life and death. You know, that's how important every single snap is. And that's, and that's, and you feel that the fans felt that. And certainly as a, as somebody who watches and appreciates just great sports, like I felt that and I, I loved it. I loved everything about this game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch, but uh, it was difficult to watch at times if you were Alabama or Auburn. And we need to just take pause right now and um, realize what Alabama has coming in the future with Hugh Freeze. He took a team that got blasted by New Mexico State and had them more than ready for the University of Alabama. And if Jalen Monroe doesn't drop that dime, then um, Alabama's not playing for anything when they play Georgia. No. That's as what, what, blunt and as, and as honest as I can be about it. Uh, what about Clayton Thorne? What a game he played for Auburn. And when they did pass, he made it count. Yep. And when and their play calling and their schemes, um, they got wide receivers so open against Alabama secondary that my jaw dropped then too, but not as much as it did in the final seconds of that one. And we'll get to the interception that wasn't counted that should not have been counted. Man, has that been a social media blast? Can't believe it. He was out of bounds. He stepped out of bounds. Anyway, that didn't make any difference in the outcome, but it has been a subject of, of uh, much talk on the social media platforms. Jeff Spiegel was there. He was at Jordan-Hare Stadium, and he will be with us coming up next on Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. This is a special. From T-Town to the Plains.
This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed Big Noon Sports. It's Monday after an Alabama game, this time it being Auburn. And joining us, as usual, on this day is Jeff Spiegel, ABC 3340. Jeff, how are you, man? It's a little chilly. Yeah, it is a little uh, nippy out there, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a really beautiful beautiful day in the neighborhood. Jeff, uh, I've asked Lars; he's asked me, "What were you doing? Where were you standing when uh, Milro dropped the dime on Isaiah Bond?" I was standing in the opposite end zone. Um, we uh, we took four people down there to the game. Um, I was going to be doing a package on the winning team. And Johnny Condon was going to be doing a package on the losing team. So I was with our photographer who was assigned to shoot Auburn. And I leaned up there and I told him, I said, I said, look, man, fans are going to rush the field. Uh, and he's, he's kind of a big dude. And I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to stick by you, shoot what you see. We'll try to get some interviews with players. It'll be a madhouse, but, but you know, we'll get it done. One play later. Didn't have to worry about fans storming the field anymore. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. And I turned around and I, and I, I looked at the big screen because, because I go, no way, no way that happened. And bigger than life, there's Bond catching the ball and well in bounds. Just a perfectly executed play, an incredible throw, uh, dynamic, just dynamic athletes doing their thing in a very clutch situation and it was uh it was amazing to see where does that play rank for you just uh, in terms of the iron bowl well i still think the kick six tops it um we, we've had a lot of discussion about this here in the office and and you know you could argue the point that you know the Milrow miracle or whatever you want to call the play uh would would trump the kick six um, and, and the reason you, you would argue for that is because there was more skill involved. You know, um, I, the hair kind of stands up on the back of my neck a little bit when I hear people call that a Hail Mary. It was not a Hail Mary. No, it oh, was no. a, no, no, no. <laughs> it, it was a design, it was a designed football play. And, um, and Bill Rose saw, had, first of all, first of all, he had all freaking day to throw. There was no pressure on him at all. And, uh, and he saw Bond and he threw a perfect ball and it was, uh, it was perfectly executed. So it took more skill than to catch a missed field goal and outrun a bunch of big offensive linemen, uh, to the end zone. So in that case, you could say the Milrow miracle trumps the kick six, but in terms of just a gassed, you know, jaw dropping, um, effect, uh, I still think the kick six beats it by just a little bit. You know, it's, um, it produced the same reaction though. Um, um, and the one thing I'll, I'll give the kick six an edge on is because it was such a unique play. I mean, yeah, how sure. often do you see that happen? You see 31 yard touchdowns on fourth down, 
not often, and particularly not at Jordan Hare Stadium <laughs> like that. But the uniqueness yeah. of that play and score is what will probably carry over the pick six. But it would be nice if CBS would uh, throw the fourth and thirty-one up there as much as they did during that football game. <laughs> it was just uh, it was just even even. As a reporter and as a broadcast journalist for years and years and years, it got to the point where, really? Are you going to show that again? And they did. <laughs> it's a very, very special play. But I think they'll be showing this one uh, quite a number of times, too. Uh, Jeff, can we get something out of the way? Yeah. It's really easy. Terry and Arnold stepped out of bounds. And if yeah. you slow it down, you'll see that he stepped out of bounds. Okay. And then there was right. those that were claiming the ball was snapped after the clock ran out. Well, if that were the case, then why in the statistics did they give Arnold two touchdowns, two, two interceptions? Interceptions. Yeah. So yeah. is that the way you see it, too? Please settle the score here. Well, that's the, that's the way I saw it. Now, um, I was on, the, I was at the other end of the field. So, you know, and there was still, you know, there's still a bunch of chaos, like occurring, you know, uh, in, in the mind, you know, of myself, you know, while I'm processing all of this. And, um, but yeah, I mean that's you know that's that's kind of the way I saw it, and I, and, and I watched the and when I got home from Auburn at about twelve thirty or so, um, I watched the game you know on CBS and and uh, and that's the way I saw it. It looked like they got the playoff in time and and all of that. And look, I don't know if you guys have discussed this today at all, but there really shouldn't have been a fourth and thirty one. Uh, Auburn should have been penalized for delay of game, for disconcerting uh, signals uh, that that caused you know Seth McLaughlin's snap to to go awry uh, because Giant Puckett was back there. He clapped twice, he clapped again, and then made a little you know motion toward the line. And um, man, if that doesn't qualify as disconcerting signals, then you know the officials just missed that call. But listen, it was a it was a bad day for that crew all the way around. It was uh, it was not the best officiated football game I've ever seen. And and here's another thing too. It's been a long time since uh, since I've seen an Iron Bowl as chippy as that was. I mean, for a, for a while there, I thought I was watching the Egg Bowl. You know, I mean, there, there were there was just all kinds of just extracurricular stuff going on there, and um, it was and. Look, between the third and fourth quarters, when they turned the lights down, the people at home watching TV didn't get to see this, but I did. I was up in the press box. And the lights came down, and all the people had their cell phones, you know, lights on and the, and the stands and everything. And both teams kind of merged toward the middle of the field, and there was some jawing going on. And the officials and also the team officials had to kind of get in between and stop just a free-for-all from happening, they're like in darkness, you know. And Johnny Condon mentioned, well, I mean, if you're going to punch a guy's lights out, that would have been the time to do it right there. <laughs> you know, you, you wouldn't have been picked up on the replay. But um, it was it was intense, man. It was one of the most uh, – I mean, it, 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 was, it, it was crazy intense the past quarter and a half. 
You know, Jeff, there is typically one coach coming out of the Iron Bowl, not necessarily a head coach, that incurs the wrath of a fan base. And right now, that coach is Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator of Auburn. And specifically on uh, about Alabama's final offensive play. And so the call from Roberts was a two-man rush with a quarterback spy. All right, <laughs> you got 31 yards to go, and just the, right. the lack of aggressiveness on, of, of that play call. And, and the thing is, Freeze even used a timeout to see Alabama's alignment before that play that allowed Roberts to get what he believed was his best call. But you're essentially rushing two. Why you're wasting a defender to spy Mill Row? I have no idea. And then to have uh, your, have DJ James, you got eight men in coverage, yet their corner DJ James is left one on one against Bond. I mean, yeah. I, I just I don't get that. I don't get the philosophy behind that alignment. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't get it at all. And and the two guys who rushed, I mean, it was uh, it, it it wasn't much of an effort as far as the rushing goes. No, I mean, look, they sacked the guy four times, you know, uh, in that game. And put always put the heat on the guy. I mean, make make him make a play, you know, uh, uh, you know, put some put some pressure on him and and make him make an incredible play to win that football game. Now, you could say, well, he made an incredible play to win the football game. Auburn made it really, really easy for an athlete like Jalen Milrow to stand there all day long and just wait for Bond to come open and just drill it. And it was, uh, look, it was, uh, it was easy pickings. It was easy pickings for Jalen Milrow. And it was, it was just, it was totally botched, you know, by Ron Roberts on the last play, no doubt. I'm really curious from your perspective on the opposite end zone. I mean, that's actually a great place to view that play. Um, what was like the trajectory of the ball coming out of his, out of Jalen's hand? Because I mean, it's just like, there was not a lot of arc to it. That was pure arm strength. Well, I've seen him overthrow guys before. And, and when the ball came out of his hand, I go, Oh my gosh, that, that ball is going in the stands. I mean, cause that ball was, it was a rocket. And then it, it just kind of, it, it turned out to just be, the most beautiful throw you've ever seen. I mean, it just looped in there perfectly. And it was, uh, you know, it had a lot of zip on it. And, uh, you know, Agent 007, you know, comes down with it there in the corner. And and uh, as I said last night, you know, he left the Auburn fans shaken, not stirred. And uh, it was... Uh, oh. Boom. It was, <laughs> nice. it, was, uh, it was really something to see. You know, the one thing getting back to Robert's defensive call, um, and I agree with everybody, it's just put back an eight-man zone, you know, right from the five to the back of the goal line. But why the spy? I mean, do you really think Jalen Milrow is going to run 31 yards for a touchdown with nine other guys? I just <laughs> that, that that was a total – that was like playing 10-man defense. So uh, that yeah. will be talked about for, for a very, very long time, but, but – I actually, Auburn. I, 
I don't think Auburn spied quite as much as I thought they were going to. Did you? No, no, no. And and um and look, I mean, anytime you have a game like this, you're going to have the heroes and and, and you're going to have the coach. And and unfortunately, uh, look, look, when Alabama had to punt the ball, and and I'm not exactly sure how much time was left on the clock. I think there were probably five minutes, five and a half minutes left on the clock. And they had to punt the ball, you know, before Coy Moore fumbled it. Um, I said, you know, Alabama's not going to get the ball back. You know, had they not fumbled that punt, I mean, we, we, of course, we wouldn't be talking about any of this. We'd be talking about Auburn running out the clock and, and, uh, and all of that. And, but you know what? I think, I think Chris Doring on SEC now put it perfectly that these two programs, Auburn hopes to win. Alabama knows they can win. And, uh, and that's what you saw right there on that final sequence. Yeah, um, poor Corey Moore. And why did they put him back for the first time? Well, I think Keontae Scott was shaken up. And, okay. and Moore went in there, you know, to receive the punt. It just kind of floated on him and uh, just couldn't come up with it. Boy, it stripped right through his breadbasket. And yeah. there was there was Campbell again. All right, yep. uh, lots more to talk about, Jeff, if you can hang around. Sure. Okay, let's talk about the Georgia game upcoming this Saturday, 3 o'clock in Atlanta. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. To the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. And our guest here on Monday following Thanksgiving weekend and the Alabama-Auburn game, which the Tide escaped with a 27-24 victory. Jeff Spiegel from 3340 is our guest. Let's take a look at what's going to happen Saturday afternoon. You got some thoughts on Georgia because, um, well, they had to struggle actually a little bit uh, against their in-state rival, Georgia Tech, which surprised me a little bit. But uh, how does Georgia come into this game from the Bulldogs' perspective, Jeff? Well, I think Georgia comes in with a lot of confidence. I mean, uh, I mean, this is a team that's done something that, you know, hasn't been done in 43 years. I mean, since Alabama, it's amazing. I mean, what this, what Kirby has done with this program. I mean, to, to keep, to keep guys locked in through a 29 game winning streak is unbelievable. I think Nick Saban said last night that they've won 19 in a row, I think twice. You know, while he's been at Alabama and how incredibly hard, you know, that was, you know, to do that. And, uh, but he's just been, you know, stacking performances on top of performances and, and just, uh, and just getting it done. I mean, keeping the guys focused and, you know, they've, uh, they're like Alabama and they've, they've just been on this trajectory where I think you could argue that those two guys are, are playing the best, best football of, any teams in the country at this point yeah so that 29 straight win uh is a new sec record and uh i know that matt will remember this because i believe he covered this yale team from 1888 to 1892 but this is a this georgia team it's the first team since that yale squad of 88 to 1892 to start three seasons 12 and 0. Uh, and here's the incredible thing. Alabama may not make the playoffs if they beat Georgia. If they beat this team that has won a record, SEC record 29 in a row, 
first team since 90, 1892 to win three or start three years 12 and 0 because you just you, you break it down. If Michigan wins uh, in the uh, in the in the Big Ten championship game, they're in. Uh, sure. Florida, Florida State, boy, it really would have helped Alabama if uh, if Florida could have beaten Florida State, and it looked like it was going to happen for a while in the swamp. But if Florida State wins, they're going to be in, and then it could come down. Let's say Washington beats Oregon, or excuse me, let's say Oregon beats Washington in the Pac-12. Then do you put Alabama in over a one-loss Oregon? And let's say Texas uh, beats uh, um, uh, Oklahoma. No, I'm sorry. They're going to be playing Oklahoma play? State. Yeah, sorry. The Oklahoma State. Let's say Texas beats Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. Is there any possible way you could put Alabama in over them, given the fact that Alabama beat or excuse me, that Texas beat Alabama by 10 at Bryant-Denny? Yeah. I mean, uh, if Alabama beats Georgia, and if Alabama beats Georgia, let's say, by double digits, uh, it, it's going to throw things into a chaotic situation. The college football playoff committee will be – there will be intense pressure, I mean, to to, to put Alabama in this thing. Uh, the whole – the Texas loss has just been a specter, you know, just kind of hanging over this – hanging over this Alabama team throughout this whole playoff rankings thing because, you know – Head-to-head, in my opinion, has, has got to count. You know, Texas didn't, you know, Texas didn't determine when they could play that football game. It was played in September. It was played at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And they came to Tuscaloosa and beat them. So, it, but, I'm, but I'm thinking, though, that if Alabama goes in there and they beat Georgia and they have, you know, control of the game, that they'll jump over Texas and... Then, then it's going to come down, you know, to to them in Oregon, and that's boy, that's just going to be there's going to be some major controversy, no matter how this shakes out. Now, the committee hopes the committee hopes that everything works out peachy keen for them. Georgia wins, Michigan wins, Florida State wins, Pac-12 champion in, and then there's no mess, right? There's no mess. But every other college football fan in America wants to see a little chaos. And yeah. that may be what you get on Saturday. Uh, just a quick, quick comment on, on Lars claiming I covered that Harvard-Yale game. I, I did not, but I, I am widely known as the third Wright brother. Um, um, I just think that uh, is this going to come down to whoever is most successful quarterback, Beck or Milrow? Uh, yeah, and boy, right now I think that's a push. I mean, yeah. uh, they're they're both just uh, just like their football teams. Uh, it, it's no coincidence that the quarterback play has just gotten better and better and better every week. Um, and you know, just when you think, wow, Milrow has really has really improved. I mean, how much better you know can he get? And then he makes a play like he made, you know, in in that game. Uh, just a clutch, you know, pressure play like that. But, you know, the way Milrow is using his legs, uh, the, the way he gets out, he, I mean, he, he escaped, you know, pressure situations in that Iron Bowl that were just huge. And, um, and that's going to come into play, you know, in the SEC title game as well. And, um, it's just going to be a war. I mean, I, it could be one of the best, you know, SEC championship games 
you know, we've ever seen, and we've seen some good ones, and this could rank right up there as a classic. And, and think about from Georgia's perspective, right? Again, 29 straight wins, and yet if they lose by one point to Alabama, I don't think there's any way they make the playoffs. This is a must win, I, I think, for Georgia. Again, that's well, I think it, on the other games. Yeah, I know. Well, a lot would have true. to happen. Yes. A lot would have to happen for Georgia to make it in. Yeah, absolutely true. And I think, you know, I think there's some, I think when you get to this point of the season, that I think, you know, you, you have to consider these championship games part of the playoff. And it really is when you lose, you know, and if you, and, and if you lose the SEC championship game, you know, you should be eliminated. You know, if you're, if it's late in the year and you're Ohio State and you lose to Michigan, you shouldn't be in the playoff. You know, if you're Washington and you lose the rematch against Oregon or, or vice versa, then you're out. You shouldn't be in. You know, so and to a, to a large degree, I know it's overall resume, but uh, but if you're supposed to be playing your best football at this time of year and you lose, you don't deserve to play for the national title. It's as tight and as uh, uh, <laughs> hard to predict right now as ever. You got you got four championship games. You're gonna see what happens with them. Um, you know, yeah. Can a team like Oklahoma State upset? Can um, uh, who's Florida State gonna end up playing? Um, help me. Uh, Louisville? Louisville. 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 Yeah, Louisville. Louisville's very capable of winning that game. Yeah, yeah they are, uh, particularly since Florida State doesn't have Travis Jordan. So it's all, a, it's a hodgepodge. Uh, let's do this again either later in the week, and we'll do it next Monday after the uh, after the SEC championship game. You're always very kind with your time. Thank you, Jeff Spiegel. Well, that'd be cool. I appreciate you guys. Have a good day. That's <laughs> uh very interesting to how ABC 30 through 40 was lining up that who's going where <laughs> and then it changed just another thing that changed dramatically on that pass he dropped a dime I want to go into that dropped a dime thing for just a second you've been listening to Big Noon Sports WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and screening on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. Here's Nick Cope. The Panthers have fired coach Frank Reich during his first year on the job as Carolina has started 1-10. Special teams coordinator Chris Tabor will be the interim coach and senior assistant Jim Caldwell will serve as a special advisor to help offensive coordinator Thomas Brown. Reports say Vikings receiver Justin Jefferson will not play tonight against the Bears, but he is expected to return from his hamstring injury after their upcoming bye week. NFL media reports Eagles Pro Bowl right tackle Lane Johnson is considered day-to-day with a groin injury after he didn't play in yesterday's game against the Bills, but he now has a chance to face the 49ers this weekend. In baseball, reports say three-time All-Star pitcher Sonny Gray is signing a three-year, $75 million deal with the Cardinals, and reports say the Dodgers are bringing back outfielder Jason Hayward on a one-year deal valued at $9 million. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Indeed. Thank everyone for tuning us in. It's been a marvelous weekend, particularly if you're an Alabama fan. Most folks listening to the show are. Lars, the term drop a dime 
Do you know its origin? I think I do. I do not. It, it goes back to when I was, again, smaller, younger. But drop a dime in my era meant you're going to call somebody. I'm going to drop a dime on you. Right? That's, that's what it took to use a payphone. Drop a dime. Yeah. Now it is being used as a pass like Milro made to Bond. And um, I, I guess it still counts. I mean, you, you're dropping a dime. It's the smallest coin in a little slot. And it's just not much room for error, if any. And I'll just go back to that pass one more time and the descriptions. that We've all talked about where we were and what we were doing and how we reacted. But that pass could only be thrown one place. And it it wasn't off by a dime, you know? It was absolutely perfect. And Bond ran around. He was coached to run that route. By the way, Nick Saban in his postgame comments at Auburn Saturday night, somebody asked him about that play and if it had a name, and he said he talked about the play that they practiced it, but he wouldn't give them the name. Now, Bond did give the name. It's called Grave Digger. Now, how appropriate is that? You can put <laughs> drop a dime aside. That pass was a dra- the grave digger. Yeah, and it was. And, um, you know, it's it was the perfect pass. It was the, the throw of a lifetime. But I will say that it, it, it is for the quarterback, and I, I only know this because of my the, the books that I did with Bruce Arians, on that particular play, He's got a really clear aiming point, and that's that back pylon, right, in the end zone. And so that is what that is uh, what he's waiting for. Now, it takes, like, exquisite timing to hit Bond as he pulls away just a little bit from the corner. And the corner, you know, he's got his back to the quarterback again, so he doesn't see the ball coming. And uh, it was just a great play by Bond uh, making that catch and just two amazing athletes um, in, in, in Bond and Milrow just making a play when it matters most. I mean, that's the thing about, say, a, a, a Tom Brady. He always got better during the course of the game, and then he was at his best when the stakes were the highest, right, at the, at the end of the game. And and it's it, it, it's hard to sort of even from Brady's legendary career, it's hard to remember him for one particular throw. But it's it's like he's he he was the kind of quarterback. It was uh, death by a thousand cuts. But this throw will be one that is going to be talked about forever. And uh, if nothing else. Jalen Milrow has captured the national attention in a major way, and I wouldn't be surprised, regardless of what happens uh, in Atlanta this weekend or what happens in where whatever bowl game or the playoffs, he's going to enter next year as a on a very short list of, of Heisman Trophy front runners. Um, and no just because of uh, how he has played in these last two months. Um, 
Matt, I did want to just touch on uh, two other stories real quick. I wanted to get your reaction because we, we talked about this for a while last week. You know, who is Texas A&M going to announce? And we knew that Ross Bjork, the athletic director, he wanted this to get done fast. And he wanted the, the deal in place with the, the new coach uh, by December 3rd, I think. It was really by next Monday. And, uh, and it turns out that really their, their target, uh, was Mike Elko, uh, at Duke, who we had talked about for a long time. And, uh, he's done such a good job in his one year at, at Duke. And, um, he was Texas A&M's defensive coordinator who left two years ago, uh, to take the Duke head coaching job. And, um, uh, you know, he did a phenomenal job when he was at A and M, and he uh, and I think that what Bjork is kind of saying by this hire is that we're gonna we realize defense. I think he's looking around at the other teams in the SEC, the best teams in the SEC, and who are they coached by? They're coached by defensive guys, and uh, meaning Kirby Smart, Nick Saban. And I think they're just going to go back to they want the calling card of this team to be defense, defense, defense. And then I don't think Bobby Petrino will be retained. I think it's it's possible because I, I, I don't know if Petrino has really been able to fully implement the offense that he wanted because who knows how much behind the scenes um, – uh, behind the scenes that he was sort of handcuffed by Jimbo and because Jimbo's an offensive coach. But um, I love this hire, and I, I think uh, they, they they couldn't go out and get, you know, the, the hottest guy on the market, although Elko was, was one of them, just because they're, they are hamstrung by the, the payout that they have to give to Jimbo and the – what twenty one or thirty one thousand a day or whatever it is they're paying him, um, but I, I really like this hire. Your thoughts? Yeah, you, you talked about it last week, and and I was thinking that they probably needed to go for a more of a home run hire. Uh, but he is an A and M guy, like you said. They played great defense when he was the coordinator. But I keep hearing these things, and I don't know how how many people are just you know fanning the flames, but. Do you think that Stoops was talked to extensively and then at yeah. the last minute they just said, no, nah, this isn't going to work? And maybe yes. that was more A&M saying, no, Stoops, we don't like this because their fans were talking about it. But um, I I wonder how close they were to naming Kentucky's coach, the head coach. I think I think they did. I think Stoops was certainly on the short list and it may have come down, believe it or not, to a financial decision. Because Stoops is making so much money at Kentucky. He's making nine a year. Yeah, and I, I just don't know if you, you want to be doing that uh, if you're uh, Bjork uh, at this time. But, you know, you would think, you know, we always just automatically assume that Texas A&M has this uh, bottomless pit of money at their, uh, you know, sitting right there on campus. But... Nonetheless, that that's a bit of a a bit of a, of a of a weight of a to have around you to for to be saddled with that seventy six million dollars. Um, the other 
quick story I wanted to hit before we go to break. And again, we're going to get back to discussing all things Alabama here in a second. Was what's going on in Colorado? Um, they lost their second quarterback recruit in as many days this morning when uh, Danny O'Neill, who was a, uh, a three-star uh, out of Indianapolis, um, he decommitted. And this comes a day after they lost uh, another quarterback, Antoine Hill, who is the number 46 overall prospect in the 2025 class. And so now with these decommitments, Colorado has just eight high school commitments in their wow. 2024 class that the early signing period, which is basically the signing period, we're just weeks away from that. I mean, it starts December 20th and they only got eight. And, 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 and he's been losing, Deion Sanders has been losing commitments. And I just wonder, has, has the Deion Sanders thing like, you know, I have not been a fan since basically day one. Um, and, and we don't need to get into those reasons right now, but I just, with Colorado absolutely falling off the ledge here at the end of the season and they're losing these recruits. Is it because these guys think, oh, they're just going to go on the transfer portal and get somebody given the fact that they got, you know, what, 65 guys out of the transfer portal last year? I mean, I'm just wondering if no, if this exactly be, what I thought. because exactly. it's a, it, 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 it's an intriguing almost case study for the future of college football. Like how? So on the one hand, you got you're you're constructing a team out of transfer portal guys, but now what are the ramifications of that? What are the consequences? Is this what we're seeing an unintended consequence? The fact that you have these guys now coming out, these kids coming out of high school saying, I don't know if I want to go there because if you, the coach isn't showing much faith in sort of long-term development. That's the very first thing I thought of, Lars, is was Dion able to say, you're going to be, you're going to be in contention, you're going to play. And maybe the kid or the parent went, well, will you still go to the transfer portal? Now, I think Dion would tell the truth and say, yeah, we're always looking at the transfer portal. Well, guess what? I'm going to go someplace where I'm going to play, and they're not going to get somebody in the transfer portal. So I think that's come back to backlash on Dion. And I also have to wonder, because NIL figures so highly in there, is Colorado running out of NIL money? I mean, that's <laughs> not a Texas A&M, okay? Uh, that's not even a Nebraska or an Alabama as far as NIL, NIL money is concerned. So... I, I think the two things that we have seen rear its ugly head at times over the past three years, that being NIL and Transfer Portal, maybe it's coming to backlash on some of these guys like Deion Sanders. Matt, if you were a parent of a high school kid, too, I, I know I'm sure this means nothing and had no impact, but I just want to throw it out there. If you're the parent of a high school player and your kid is committed to Colorado, and then you see in a press conference that Deion Sanders thinks that Mount Rushmore is in Los Angeles. Does that give you pause? <laughs> like, wait, I'm sending my kid to a guy who thinks Mount Rushmore is in Los Angeles? Yeah. I, it certainly I, would I, me. I, I, I would. me a lot. God. And I haven't seen the clip or heard the soundbite. Well, maybe, kidding, maybe, Noah can, maybe Noah can pull it up. Uh, no, he was not kidding. 
Well, everybody was knows bad. it's in Virginia. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> Vinny didn't uh, even know where South Dakota was. Well, it's just south of North. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, that is crazy. That that would throw up a big caution flag for me. You're listening to Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. Noah Haynes is at the controls. We've got Nick Kelly from the Tuscaloosa News coming up at the bottom of the hour. And um, let's do a dive into what the other Jalen did this weekend. Oh, my word. Back in a minute. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cold and breezy afternoon with a sunny sky, the high today 49. Clear with a freeze tonight, the low 29. Tomorrow and Wednesday, a good supply of sunshine both days. The high tomorrow 51, the high Wednesday at 57. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Lars, Matt, and Noah on this chilly Monday afternoon. Make sure it's, it's going below freezing tonight. So make sure your plants and your dogs and your cats and all your pets are taken care of. I want to make a really, really cool note here that you probably read about. If not, you need to know. Jacksonville State University is likely to play in the Camellia Bowl. That is so cool. There were two slots left because of the teams that had less than six wins. So Jacksonville State... And James Madison go, and I think the other team, there's a third slot, Minnesota will likely go because of their ratings, their power ratings. Uh, they will go with only five wins, and BJ said, yeah, yeah, we're going. But uh, way to go, Rich Rod and the Gamecocks of Jacksonville State. Now, class, it's time for geography. <laughs> yes, and uh, we go to Boulder, Colorado, and this was uh, last week at a press conference when Deion Sanders uh, was talking about trying to keep the expectations high for his Buffalo's team, despite being four and seven at the time and losing four in a row. Uh, they ended up losing on Saturday to Utah in the season four and eight with a five game losing streak. But he invoked a historical monument here in the United States uh, to say that, hey, our, our uh, expectations are sky high. Expectations are out of the darn park. You gotta understand, man. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. What's the What's those little foreheads that's in California? What do they call those? The people faces in, engraved. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. South Dakota. I set up there. Is it where? 
I thought it was in L.A. all this time. <laughs> wow, my geography. That's the Hollywood thing? I, that's what I thought. I'm sorry. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay, Matt. So, you know, I grew up in Nebraska. My parents are from South Dakota. <clears throat> and I grew up going to Mount Rushmore almost every year. Um, and I thought it was pretty interesting that the uh, governor of Colorado, uh, Christy Noem, she uh, <laughs> extended an invitation to Dion and the entire, <clears throat> excuse me, Colorado team to come and visit the state's landmark and said, hey, bring Ralphie, too. He'll he'll love it yeah. because we've got buffalo herds of our own. No, they have <laughs> buffalo in Los Angeles, too. <laughs> wow. Uh, they laughed but, 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 the, but the question is, I, I'm, to put this in context of why I, I want to bring this up, if you are a player or if you are the parent of a player, is that disconcerting of a high school or your high school player, excuse me, high school player or parent of a high school player, is that disconcerting to you? Would you still want to send your kid to play for someone who thinks – <laughs> Mount Rushmore's well, in Los Angeles. I'd rather I'd rather send him to a place where he can learn to play football and get a good education. So maybe that's Dion. But um, the way I heard it, and then him referring to Hollywood sign, I don't know. Maybe it's a li- little less interesting to me now. But still, it, it would give me cause for concern. So, and again, I, and I brought it up too because Colorado's just lost two recruits. Now I, I'm not saying yep. that there's a direct correlation. But, um, you know, it's probably more about the transfer portal as we discussed. But, uh, yeah, we can uh, we can roll into the next story now, Matt. All right. Mississippi State has made their hire. Um, Jeff Lebby, he is the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's offense at times this year was flat out brilliant. So that's you know what that is, Lars? That's a very starkful light hire. Yeah. And um, I think he's going to do a really good job. And, uh, you know, Mississippi State, they just, they're going to be throwing the ball all around the field. And uh, it's almost kind of uh, going back to Mike Leach, who he also cut his teeth as the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And so um, I like it. I like this hire a lot. How about you? Well, I don't know that much about him, but uh, they need to get back to doing the things that Leach did. Because uh, they certainly didn't use Will Rogers in that uh, in that way this year. In fact, did I not read that Will Rogers was going to enter the transfer portal? And my first reaction to that is, what has he got? His eighth year of eligibility? Um, man, he's been playing at Mississippi State for a long, long time. Um, but I wonder if they'll keep Will Rogers now that they've got a passing offensive coordinator slash now head coach. Uh, at Starkville. I think it's a possibility. Uh, and yeah, he did uh, enter the transfer portal uh, two days ago. He, he, he announced his intention on Friday. Um, and that may have been a little bit of heat of the moment, you know, because uh, Mississippi State had just lost to Ole Miss on Thursday night, ended the season five of seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, if. Uh, if he changes his mind, <clears throat> but uh, you, obviously you can't hire a coach just for to satisfy one player. No, but um, Rogers, oh man, he uh, would be, I think, 
the most coveted player in the transfer portal for 2024. Don't you agree? Yeah, maybe that's the guy that's uh, going to end up in Colorado. Um, maybe no, maybe that's the guy who's going to end up at Auburn or Nebraska. Oh, Hugh Freeze and, and um, wow. Will, Will Rogers? Be, I mean, think about Will Rogers. That at, would be. Yeah, think about Will Rogers at Auburn. Yep, with you. He this is Will Rogers needs a whole lot of development, and he's a whole, he's an NFL quarterback. We're going to come back with Tuscaloosa News's own Nick Kelly on Big News Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Big Noon Sports. Our guest, Lars Matt Noah, is Nick Kelly with Tuscaloosa News. Nick, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving as well. We did. Uh, we're asking our guests and each other where you were standing, what you were doing, and what you thought the minute it was 4th and 31 and the grave digger was completed. <laughs> well, I was sitting, so... Uh... But I just about stood. I mean, I, I uh, <laughs> my eyes were wide open. I think after that, sitting in uh, we were in the the press box at Auburn is basically in the one end zone. Well, it happened in the opposite end zone, but it was basically st- we had a straight direct look uh, at that corner. And when Austin Isaiah's back there and Jalen uncorked it, it's like a, he's got a chance. Wait a second, he just caught that. We could see his foot getting bounced from where we were, and basically there was this collective press box just oh my goodness like what the heck just happened because i mean for myself i was basically getting ready to publish my alabama lost story um because i published a story right at the buzzer and there you know there's, there's left less than a minute so you kind of have to get it all prepared and finalized and that's what i was doing and i almost didn't even watch the play because 4 and 31 is like yeah they're not going to convert this um, but i'm like okay i'll you know I'll just see what happens and <laughs> i'm glad i did Nick, I love the fact that, uh, that you had your story written and, uh, and I know a lot of other people's, other people, other writers did too. What was your, uh, what was your lead of the story that never ran of Alabama losing? Well, it was pretty similar actually. Um, but there's an old trick that I learned years ago. I can't remember who taught it to me or where I read it, but it, it's a brilliant trick. Basically, whatever you write, you can just put, or so they thought. Uh, <laughs> after after every phrase, so you know this isn't what it was, but say Auburn looked, you know Auburn is primed to win, or so they thought. Uh, so that's that's an old deadline trick if anyone ever needs it. But I didn't exactly do that, but I kind of did something similar. My lead was going to be the you know voodoo still exists, the curse hasn't gone anywhere, you know that kind of thing. But then I just had to quick add in the voodoo looked like it still existed. The curse looked like it hadn't gone anywhere. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was adding in a quick, uh, a, yeah. a quick word or two to, to make it, to make it work and not have to completely revamp everything. Uh, I, I love that. And, uh, yeah, that is, Lars has uh, done that. I'm assuming. I, I, I have, I we have, have. I've, uh, I've, I've never <laughs> been on that much of a deadline, but usually what I would try to do is craft a lead just like you, Nick, uh, where, it kind of works either way, and you can right. adjust a few words here or there, and uh, sure, and, and make it make it go. Um, 
your thoughts, and I don't know if you had a chance to talk to the Alabama players about this, just about Auburn's decision there, uh, really just to rush two on that final offensive play for Alabama and have the third, uh, uh, line, or they have the third player, uh, at the line of scrimmage basically spy Jalen. Um, it just, uh, right now, Alabama, or excuse me, Auburn fans are just, crushing Roberts, the defensive coordinator at Auburn. Yeah, put me into camp that doesn't understand why they did that because, yes, Jalen is a huge threat as a runner. Yes, he can make some huge plays with his legs. But in what world is he going to get to the end zone when he has to? He has 31 yards of ground to make up? And by the time that he would cross that line of scrimmage, the entire Auburn defense can break from their coverage and go after him. Now, that would be a true miracle if he somehow scored on that play. I mean, this is <laughs> this miracle in its own right, but that would be a next-level miracle, I should say, if he would have gotten to the end zone running on on that play. And so if you're Auburn, at least rush the third guy. Like, at least send him on, on a pass rush rather than have him just sit there. Because Jalen was not going to run. He couldn't. So I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get the logic. Maybe someone who's smarter with football could explain that to me, but I don't understand it. Neither do I, and I was very perplexed about having a guy spy. There's no way he's running 31 yards for a touchdown. So, anyway, um, it turned out to be is what Nick Saban always does. He says it is what it is, and it was what it was, <laughs> and Alabama went on. There were so many other incredible plays during the game that sometimes I think, well, no, I know we overlooked them. But how big – okay, I'll pull one out of the hat here, literally. How big was the last second touchdown that Alabama scored before the half? Huge. I mean – go ahead. No, it's just, it, Burton, and he was open, wide open, as many receivers were on that evening. Yeah, it, it was huge, I think, from a momentum standpoint, because that place was starting to get a little riled up, and, and those Auburn fans, that, that – uh, that voodoo magic was, it was brewing. Uh, it, it was definitely, uh, you just had the feeling of this is going to, this could be an upset. This could be another Jordan Hare nightmare for Alabama. And it almost was, you know, forget that play in general. But if, if you don't get that touchdown or a big play to take the wind out of Auburn sales, I mean, Alabama could have been trailing, uh, more than, um, they were toward the end of the game. And so I think that was huge just from a mental standpoint to be like, Hey, Alabama is still in this game. Yeah, Auburn's not the only one who's going to have big plays. Um, so I, I think that was really big mentally more than anything. Nick, you've worked for uh, the Boston Globe. And uh, last week uh, we, we talked a little bit about just the, the intensity of the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry versus uh, Alabama-Auburn. What what did you experience on on Saturday? Uh, and man, it, to me, uh, I've seen videos of the uh, what the crowd was like going into the fourth quarter during that for the, the break, right? That the television viewers didn't see when the lights went out, and the crowd is absolutely just going nuts. Um, and uh, Jeff uh, Jeff Spiegel just told us that there was a near all out brawl that broke out between the two teams during that time. But just what was that uh, atmosphere like? Yeah, it, it was intense. I mean, it was it was next level. And I think it was a really chippy atmosphere uh, on the field, 
particularly. Um, but as far as the crowd, I mean, they had their shakers out, these dark navy shakers. Uh, it was kind of different to see them so dark. You know, Alabama's got the lighter ones. Uh, and, and just, I mean, it was packed out. It was loud. Of course, any, any play that even went a little bit well, let's just say a 40-yard gain, it was almost like Auburn got a first down the way the crowd reacted. I mean, that crowd was next level. Um, it was a great atmosphere. Uh, and so that's not an easy place to come play when however many people were in that stadium kind of hate your guts if you're Alabama. Um, so it, it was a really fun atmosphere if you were a fan of college football or an Auburn fan. But if you're an Alabama fan, uh, it was probably pretty intense. Or if you're an Alabama player, that was probably a pretty intense place to play. I thought it was the chippiest game I've ever seen between Alabama and Auburn. Yeah, I mean it. More it definitely was than I've ever seen. Yeah, it was up there, and and uh, one of those things where um, it, it felt like down the stretch something was going to break out, and something did, and, and yeah, just a lot of tension. And what are you hearing about uh, McClellan? And if he can't go. How does Alabama sort of react with the playoff or with the uh, running back situation? Um, and how big of an impact could it be if he misses the game? Yeah, I think it's just too early to tell right now for him. Um, based on people I've spoken with, uh, we'll see. Um, I think you're going to see how he progresses, see if he can practice. If he can't practice, he's not playing. So that's the big first step for him is to be able to practice. Um, but it sounds like it's something that just flared up that he's dealt with. So it's not a new injury. Um, and so it's just a matter of, okay, can he get to a point where he can deal with that pain enough to be able to go play? If not, luckily they have a deep running back group. Roydell Williams obviously had a, uh, a nice game with a few nice plays against Auburn. Uh, Jam Miller, I, I really enjoy watching him play. He's got some nice bursts. Um, and of course people have, uh, banged the drum, so to speak, for Justice Haynes to get some more, uh, opportunities because he, he looks so good in the spring. Um, so you got another nice young option there um, who's now at a full season almost of uh, experience under his belt. And, and uh, he was a guy who was with them a year ago at the, the Sugar Bowl. So he's been with the program almost a year. So he's a guy you could turn to as well. Um, so luckily that's a position that Nick Saban from, I mean, spring practice has been talking about how deep it is. Uh, and I think if Jace can't go, it's going to be key for that group to step up. Nick Kelly is our guest on Big Noon Sports. Appreciate his time for the Tuscaloosa News. Nick, was uh, was Coach Saban any different? Was his demeanor uh, about the same today as his Monday news conferences have been the, the previous weeks? I think it was similar. I mean, nothing stood out too different, in my opinion. I, I think that he paid his usual respect to the opponent. Um, but, of course, this respect, I think, is... Those words are not hollow this week. Uh, Georgia is really good. <laughs> um, and so he talked about that. He, he talked about, hey, look, there's a lot of things to like, but um, there are a lot of things to fix after that Auburn game. So I think he was setting the tone with, hey, big win, but we got to turn right around and we got a huge challenge in front of us. And there is precedent with that too, right? And with two years ago with a similar emotional win over Auburn, then you got to turn around and play the number one team in the country in Georgia in the SEC championship game, who's undefeated. And a lot of people really like to win the national championship, you know, similar deals two years ago. And so I think there's, there's a, there's a charted territory for that. Um, and I think he's striking a, a similar demeanor to that week, in my opinion. 
And just your thoughts heading into the SEC championship game for Alabama, sort of uh, keys to victory. And I know it's early in the week and you probably haven't had enough time to do an in-depth analysis, but uh, just your, your initial thoughts as we look ahead to Saturday's game. Well, here's some elite football analysis for you. Stop Brock Bowers. Start with that. <laughs> um, that, that obviously is uh, going to be super key. Um, how you do it, I don't know, but uh, if, if he plays, um, that's going to be just finding ways to, to get uh, just him limited and the big playability um, is going to be so important. Um, and really, it's just, yeah, it, it's not, I, it's one of those things where you really just have to play sound, disciplined football. I mean, that's where they got out of uh, whack against Auburn. I mean, they could have blown Auburn out of the water, Alabama could have. I mean, if they would have not messed up on a few of those plays that led to touchdowns. I mean, you got the Kendrick Law fourth down, uh, Joe Murrow across the line of scrimmage on that touchdown to, I think it was Amari Nyblack. Um, they could have easily just been up big, and then that's not even a game because Auburn is not a team that's going to come up from behind and beat you. Um, so I, I think it's fix those things first. Get disciplined. Uh, make sure you aren't beating yourself because if you beat yourself, you're not going to win this game. But really, you know, Georgia has got – a really solid defense from, you know, talented players there as usual. Um, and so I think it's making sure that you wear those guys out and it's making sure that uh, you protect Jalen Milrow. And if you can do those things, that's going to go a long way for the offense. And defensively, I think it's, again, it's, it's covering Brock Bowers well. It's making sure that guys like Lab McConkie don't uh, gash you for too many. I mean, because Georgia's going to have their plays, right? I mean, they've got, they've got some good skill players. They're going to make plays. Just a matter of making sure that that's not uh, just gashing you play after play and having missed assignments. And so th- those are some of the things that stand, to, stand out to me early. And it's also fixing the run defense. I mean, that that was something that clearly did not work well against Auburn. And I think the players recognize that. Deontay Lawson, Malachi Moore talked about it today. Um, they know what they've done wrong or what they did wrong and how to, and how to fix it. And so I think that um, those are a few things that stand out to me. And like you said, I, I got to still dive more into Georgia uh, more about this matchup, but just initial impressions, that's what comes to mind for me. Kirby Smart has uh, taken the Nick Saban process to Athens, and we all know what he's done with it. Where are these two coaches? Are they at the same level now? <laughs> well, that's a good question because it depends on what you're measuring, what you're defining. I mean, Georgia's atop the mountain right now. Right now. I mean, I think it's hard to dispute that. Georgia is what Alabama was for so many years in terms of the role that they played in college football of they're the top dog and they're trying to stay on top of the mountain. Alabama's trying to climb the mountain. And for Alabama, that's a spot I think they enjoy being in because it's really hard. Nick Saban has talked about uh, not being at the top of the mountain. or it's, it's really hard being at the top of the mountain. It's kind of enjoyable having to try to climb that. Um, so there are different spots. But if you want to talk career-wise, I mean, Nick Saban still is the greatest college coach of all time. Uh, and that's not – Kirby Smart's got to win a few more championships before that happens. But right now, Kirby's having – he's got his program at the top, and I think they are the top dog in college football. So I think it just depends on how you want to quantify that question or how you want to measure that. Yeah, last three years or last 20 years. <clears throat> right. There's a big difference. Great answer. Uh, Nick, how do people follow you, subscribe to the Tuscaloosa News? Yeah, just TuscaloosaNews.com. Check us out. And uh, I'm at on Twitter at underscore Nick Kelly. Great stuff, Nick. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Have a good week.
Indeed. Thank you, uh, Nick. Lars, uh, there's a couple other things we hadn't hit on, and we're going to do that on the other side of this break as we wrap up the Monday edition of Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A cold and breezy afternoon with a sunny sky, the high today 49. Clear with a freeze tonight below 29. Tomorrow and Wednesday, a good supply of sunshine both days. The high tomorrow 51, the high Wednesday at 57. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 50 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Wrapping up on a Monday, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. Noah, thanks for your work behind the scene. Um, we had a, an app question or comment or two. And by the way, if you haven't downloaded our app in the Tuscaloosa area, but you can use it all over the state, all over the world, in fact, um, just go to uh, Tide 100.9, download the app. And via that, let's turn it over to Noah for a question or comment from Rick. Yeah, Rick was uh, saying that he enjoyed the show, and he had a question and a comment. One was he was very impressed by Milrow's reaction after the touchdown completion. He says, dude was stone-cold calm, ice in his veins, no jumping around, no running anywhere, just turning around and lock- walking off. So he was very impressed by that. Um, and then As was I. Um, and uh, Matt, that just showed me that right there is a portrait of a confident athlete. An athlete who expects to make plays when it matters most, when everything's on the line. Your season's on the line. Your hopes are on the line. And there's this expectation, not a a hope, that you're going to make a play. He expected to do that. That's why he wasn't surprised. I mean, and that is the difference between the elite of the elite and the average. I think in life in general, too, like you can apply that to every kind of phase of of work, whatever your profession is. You have this expectation to do and perform at your highest level when the stakes are the highest. There was no Tiger Woods pump. No, there was no leap into the air. In fact, he just watched the catch, briefly watched the celebration, started toward the sideline and the way he walked. You really couldn't even tell if he won or lost. It was, yeah. uh, at Rick, that's a great point. What was his question, Noah? Yeah, he had a question uh, moving forward to the Georgia game. He said, uh, what does Steele need to do to stop the UGA offense, or at least slow it way down? He thinks pressure, uh, but he's wondering what you guys think. Um, I, I definitely think they got to go look back and look at what Auburn did to run the football. Well, they have 260, 70 yards rushing the football. They can't let Georgia do that. Of course, Georgia, Lars, doesn't have that number one top dog, Big Cheese running back. They're more by committee. So um, do you say stop the run, let Beck beat you, or do you stop Beck and let the run beat you or not beat you? Well, I I think I fully anticipate that Brock Bowers is going to play in this game. And I, my my gut tells me that he probably could have gone against Georgia Tech, but they wanted to rest him to make sure that he's as close to 100% uh, against Alabama as possible. And so he, he's such a special player. You're going to have to figure out a unique way to cover him. 
And <clears throat> do you put, you know, the equivalent of a strong safety on him? Do you put a corner on him? Is there a, a, a person on that defense that matches up well with Bowers? And then I think you kind of formulate everything based on that. And if I was Kevin Steele, I would just go with my basic uh, defensive package right out of the gate and just see if, uh, if hey, you, you line it up, we'll line it up, and let's just, let's just you know, we'll, we'll put our best out there and what we've done. And I think Alabama is good enough, and they will learn, I believe, from the mistakes uh, from the uh, Auburn game that I, I you just you, you you are who you are at this point of the season I don't think if you're Alabama and you're Kevin Steele you don't need to do anything special or exotic other than Bowers right Bowers is the one guy you don't want him to beat you he's their best player maybe the best player in all of college football so you got to do something unique for him but I think otherwise you just line up and play how you've played all year and uh, and then you have contingency plans, right? If if uh, if they are gouging you uh, with runs, uh, then you, you with the running game you adjust. If it's the passing game, you adjust. But if I'm Kevin Steele, and I've actually been around Kevin, Kevin has been and he's been around forever. I mean, I remember him from I interacted with him in the '90s when he was the linebackers coach at Nebraska. I like Kevin very much. He is an intense dude. He is an intense, intense guy. And I guarantee you he is not going to be sleeping very much. But I also, I, I, I know his sort of philosophy. And I don't think they're going to come out and do anything special. Again, other than Bowers. That's my anticipation. How about you, Matt? Um, I would agree. I, I think if you go out, if you try and get too fancy, sometimes that backfires on you. And let's face it, Alabama doesn't do anything fancy. They're pretty much just going to line up. But uh, whether or not Alabama's defensive line can control the offensive line, which is outstanding once again for Georgia, um, that's not, obviously that's true with just about every football game. That's going to go a long ways to deciding who wins this game. All right, very quickly, uh, Terry Bowden was fired over the weekend as head coach at La Monroe. Of course, we all remember Terry from his days at Sanford and then when he went to Auburn, went 20-0 and 0 to start. And then um, Jalen Hurts. I was watching that game. Eagles looked horrible. Well, Bills looked great. I think that was more of it. But then Milrow answers. I had counts for five touchdowns, and they beat the Bills after trailing by double digits. It was a good weekend for Jalen's, Lars. Absolutely. And, uh, man, we're going to have a fun week talking about this SEC championship game. It's one of the most anticipated games that – in a long time because Matt, what, since, uh, basically last December 15th, we've been talking about this game. <laughs> we, we thought it was coming. Then we doubted that Alabama would sure make it did. there, but here we are. Yeah. Here we are. And here we go. See you in 22. From our home base in Birmingham, Alabama.